We had different expectations <laughs> about the Voyager 2 before we got on that boat. Mm-hmm. It's an eight-hour journey. Yes. To Rock Harbor. Now, it does stop at Windigo before that. And we were thinking, so we're from the state of Washington in the Seattle area. The ferries up here have, you know, there's restaurants and you can get drinks and food and hamburger. You can take a nap. So that's kind of what I thought the Voyager 2 would be. Oh, me too. It was literally Gilligan and the <laughs> Skipper. We got on. <laughs> I thought it was the boat that was going to take us to the boat. <laughs> This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, our stories of adventures and misadventures as we travel to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We are the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today's episode is our monthly mailbag feature, where we answer questions we've received from listeners about our public lands, about hiking, gear, and other travel-related topics. We'll be answering some really interesting questions in this episode, like how the heck do you get to Isle Royal National Park and what it's like to ride the tram to the top of the Gateway Arch. We'll answer a few personal questions as well. Mm. (laughs) Not that personal. Like how do we get in shape to tackle strenuous hikes? And where did we take our kids on adventures when they were young? All of this and more on today's mailbag. I like how enthusiastic you were about that. I'm very enthusiastic. (laughs) Very exciting to do an entire episode of Only Mailbag. You know how mailbag is my favorite. I know. Do I get to say, so Karen, what's in the mailbag today? Or is that that out? Well, the thing is, we have a lot of questions now. So there are a lot of things in the mailbag. So I guess you'd have to ask it every single time. Yeah. You know, the the whole mailbag thing, it's curious that you get so excited about mailbag because at home? (laughs) Because. Yes. (laughs) Because at home, I have to bribe you to go get the mail. We have to flip a coin to say, but we have a very long driveway. Oh, and, it's miles, and by, miles by long. long. I mean, it could be 120 feet. I mean, we could actually see if the door of the mailbox is open or not. Mm-hmm. And neither one of us still want to do it. When it's 70 degrees and sunny out, we won't get the mail. I know. It sits in there for days, which I'm embarrassed to say because it makes us sound really lazy. <laughs> the thing is about going to get the mail is there is never anything good in our mailbox, right? It's Nothing. only it's bills and it's junk mail. Whatever happened to the check is in the mail? Why don't we ever we get, don't get checks? checks. <laughs> we don't There's get never checks a for check. anything. <laughs> I've never found anything good in our mailbox. Never, ever, ever. (laughs) However, all of our electronic mail that comes in for the mailbag, whether it's through our Gmail account or through social media, that's all really good. It's all great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's all great. I have to say, you respond to most of those. Sometimes I will see one and I'll respond real quick and then you get mad at me for doing that. (laughs) Well, it's because sometimes you don't say enough things in your reply. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't I don't answer the questions? See, this is this is the trick. I shouldn't say this, but 
if you act incompetent, then you're rewarded by that task being taken away from you. Oh, so that's why I do every single thing around here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now it's clear to me. <laughs> okay, come over here and, and let, let's see you turn this recorder on and off if you know how to do that. All right, you know, we should get started. <laughs> we have a lot of great questions today, so we should just dive right in. All right, so let's get into the mail bag, Karen. Our first question is about the National Park Isle Royal, which I think it's one of the least visited national parks. And maybe one of the reasons is because it's so remote. Could be. And we called it for the first two years while we were doing our national park trip, we called it Isle Royale. Yeah, because it has an E on the end. Right, mm-hmm. until somebody somebody <laughs> in Michigan politely corrected me. <laughs> we thought it was fancy, like yeah, Isle fa- Royale. Royale. <laughs> Kind of sounds like the the name of a a casino in Las Vegas, doesn't it? It does for sure. But it's not. It's not. It's a national park. It's also an island in Lake Superior. And it's the only national park that closes in the wintertime. Actually, more than just the winter. It's only open from April 16th to October 31st because I guess they get some really nasty weather up there. All right, so that's the first question. So no, no, no. no. (laughs) Wait, did you ask the question? You you didn't ask the question. (laughs) I got so excited about Isle Royal that I didn't ask what the question is. Okay, the question is this: We are planning a trip to Isle Royal this summer, and the transportation options are very confusing. Could you talk about those and help us make sense of them? And it is confusing. It is confusing. Mm -hmm. We were confused when we did it. Yes. And we should just say, for those of you who haven't been there, there are no roads on the island. So basically, you get dropped off. And then fend for yourself. you fend for yourself. Now, so there's we'll, a lodge there with, with lodge rooms. <laughs> well, yes, there's a place to stay, but you cannot take your car with you. You cannot drive on the island. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If you did, that would be weird because there are no roads. Right. So here are the options. The first thing you need to figure out before you make boat reservations, you have to make sure you know where you're going on the island because there are different stops. Where you're going, what you're going to do. You have to be pretty well planned because it's mm-hmm. literally an island in the middle of a great lake and, and you don't want to be making your plans once you're there. That's right. So there are two main stops. Rock Harbor is where the lodge is, Rock Harbor Lodge. We've stayed there. It's very nice. And it's the only lodging option in the park. So if you're staying in the lodge, that's where you want to get dropped off. Now, the other big drop-off point is Windigo. And that's where backpackers and campers get dropped off. And we stopped there briefly. There's a visitor center there. There is a store and there is a campground. And we don't know if it's called Windigo or Windigo since since we've been mispronouncing the name of the park forever. Now you can go from two different states. So let's talk about Michigan first if you want to go from Michigan. All right. Let's talk about that. We didn't do this. But there is a passenger ferry from the town of Copper Harbor. So if you're leaving from there, it's the Isle Royal Queen 4. It's a passenger ferry, and it takes three hours to get up to... That goes to Rock Harbor. Yes. Okay, thank you. It takes three hours to get to Rock (laughs) Harbor. That's where that one goes. (laughs) Now, you have to look at their schedule on their website because this is where it gets confusing. In May and September, this boat runs two days a week. 
And it runs five days a week in June, and it runs six days a week in July, and it runs every day in August. Okay, so I think our answer is already causing people to have other questions, <laughs> but we'll just keep going. <laughs> this another, is why it's confusing. There's another option from Michigan. Yes. Which is the Ranger 3 from Houghton, mm-hmm. not Houghton, Houghton, Michigan. And it's about a six-hour ferry, and it runs on Tuesdays and Fridays a couple times a week. Yes, and right. Is, is that from April to You know, October? there was not a whole lot of information on that, so everyone is on their own. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so I think within a couple of weeks of doing this, we will be out of mailbag questions because we don't know the answers. Can we just say that? We have no No, clue. I've just outlined. This is why it's confusing. The other option, and this is what we did, we went from Minnesota because we also wanted to visit Voyagers National Park at the same time, which is in Minnesota. So we killed two birds with one stone on that trip. And we took, out of Grand Portage, Minnesota, we took the Voyager 2. We had different expectations (laughs) about the Voyager 2 before we got on that boat. Mm -hmm. It's an eight-hour journey. Yes. To Rock Harbor. Now, it does stop at Windigo before that. but mm-hmm. um, And it, it makes some other stops, too. And we were thinking, so we're from the state of Washington in the Seattle area. The ferries up here have, you know, there's restaurants and you can get drinks and food and hamburger. You can take a nap and the, the boat's so huge you can't even tell it's moving even on rough weather days. So that's kind of what I thought the Voyager 2 would be. Oh, me too. It was literally Gilligan and the (laughs) Skipper. We got on. I thought it was the boat that was going to take us to the boat. It's small. It's their mailboat. And it seems like when you say mailboat, that's what it is. About five minutes into the journey, we took all the food out of our backpacks and like laid it out to see if we had enough nourishment to get all the way to our destination. And the the sea was angry that day. <laughs> and so I took Dramamine and then I just passed out. You did. I think you slept the whole way. Again, we had different expectations. I was envisioning getting some clam chowder and a beer <laughs> right. because that's what we do on and the then, Washington and, and State And then going Ferry. to the third deck. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we were in this kind of little hole in the boat <laughs> where you were laid down. You were trying to sleep, and they sell some snacks, which means the captain pulls open oh, yeah. a drawer, and there were like two Snickers bars. Right. And <laughs> so here's the thing. If you take the Voyager 2, bring lots of food. <laughs> Clearly, this episode is not sponsored by the Voyager 2. <laughs> That's right. Now, the Voyager 2 travels to the island on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays, and it comes back from the island to Grand Portage on Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. So you don't just want to be there one day. I mean, you don't want to get there one day and then leave the next morning because it wouldn't be enough time. So you have to look at the schedule and figure out. I think we were there about three days maybe, which was was plenty of time. Also from the same dock, there's another boat, which I saw the picture. It looks much bigger Mm -hmm. and nicer. It's called the Sea Hunter. The Sea Hunter. Why didn't didn't we book the Sea Hunter? Because it only goes to Windigo. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And then we would have had to walk the... 45 45 miles. 45 miles across the island. <laughs> yes. Pro- probably a good Rock call. Harbor. This is a good call. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, here's the thing, too. If you do want to do just a day trip to Isle Royal, and maybe you're somewhere around Grand Portage and you want to do a day trip, the Sea Hunter does have a day trip option. 
it takes you to Windigo and you have a four hour layover there. And the park rangers have some programs, you know, they can they'll take you on a hike. They'll set up this whole day for you. So that is an option if you don't want to spend the night. Yeah, now there is another option to get to the island. You mm-hmm. can take a float plane. We saw a couple of float planes when we were there at Rock Harbor. We were hiking, I think the second day we were there, and we were kind of down by the shore, and a float plane came right overhead. It had been maybe three weeks earlier that we were in a head-on, a mid-air head-on collision in Alaska in a small plane. And when that float plane came over our head, it freaked us out. I know. It was like a flashback. It was a flashback. <laughs> I think we mm-hmm. like like ran into the trees. Yes. You could do a float plane. I believe there are also some private vessels that you could charter vessels. as well if you is it not called a vessel <laughs> a vessel no, you could you could get vessels you could get a you could get a, I believe that's the correct get term a private for a boat. vessel I would like a private vessel <laughs> we we opted for the Voyager 2 I did not know there were private vessels available if we would have done a little more research we we would have been on a private vessel who even to... asked this question we didn't even say her name we yeah. didn't say her name and I apologize and the reason we didn't say her name is because she sent us a direct message on Instagram. She DM'd us. Okay. And I wrote down the question, but I didn't write down her name. And when I went back to look for it, you know, we have hundreds of direct messages. I couldn't. Sally. It was Sally. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So Sally, (laughs) in summary, (laughs) I don't know if this was helpful at all, but here's what you need to consider. You have to consider where you're going on the island, you have to consider which state you want to leave from or which town in Michigan. You have to consider when you're going and how long you want to stay on the island. And then you can look at these websites. We'll put the we'll put the links to the websites on our show notes and then look at their schedules and you can figure it out. There you go, Sally. I think we need to take a break. <laughs> I, thought this, I thought this mailbag episode was a bunch of quick hits. We're, we're going to have fun. Okay. We're going to have a lot of banter. And now I'm, I'm already worn out. Was that tiring yeah. for you, Matt? I'm sorry. I'd like to have lunch now <laughs> before question number two. Oh, too bad. Here's question number two. This is from Sharon Townsend in Bradenton, Florida. And her question is, how do you keep fit for all the hiking? Do you have a workout routine in between adventures? I'm about your age and love to explore the parks and hike. I'm in pretty good shape, but marvel when I hear about the hikes you both tackle. I hope you'll share your secret. What's the secret, What is the secret? (laughs) (laughs) Clean living. (laughs) I take a nap every day. (laughs) So I get plenty of sleep. Well, first of all, she's assuming that we're in shape, <laughs> which we're not. If you if you hiked with us, you would know. I tell you, in normal years during the summer, we are out and about enough that we're hiking and, and doing some pretty strenuous hikes. And so you have one of those every seven days. That'll keep you in shape. We do pretty uh, regularly at home. We have about a three to four mile walking route that we mm-hmm. do almost every day. And on it has a couple of, well, has three really big hills. <laughs> One is called Heart Attack Hill. Yeah. And, and so we do that and that's pretty good. I don't know. What else? You know, we're lucky. I watch that, a lot of football. <laughs> we're lucky that we live in Washington State because there are all kinds of great hikes that you can do year round. We go out and snowshoe in the winter. So I know for folks who live in the Midwest and other states that don't have some of these outdoor places, you know, we used to live in Kansas for years, so we know what that's like. 
um, not not as many recreational opportunities. But I think just getting out and walking as much as you possibly can. We also, we did join a gym last January for the first time (laughs) ever because it was two months before COVID hit. And we were actually regularly working out because I wanted to try to get my back muscles stronger for backpacking because we had some big backpacking trips. But that was- That didn't last long. That did not last long at all. Yeah, I would recommend though, if you're doing a backpacking trip, you have to load your backpack up and practice hiking with that as much as you can for the first couple weeks prior to the hike. It mm-hmm. definitely helps if you just put that pack on for the first time, you haven't had it on for six months, and just as you're at the trailhead ready to head off on your backpacking trip, it, it is pretty miserable. And just a few practice hikes would help. Also, Sharon, if you're lucky... Your husband will buy you a set of kettlebells as a Christmas present. Well, not everyone has uh, really good husbands like that. I'm not sure what that says, what that message was, that my Christmas presents were weights. You You said one day. I don't know. We were talking about it with friends or something, and you turned to me and said, we need to get some kettlebells. So I got... uh, Mm-hmm. So we've been trying to use those. So that's been fun. You even got me the poster of how to of exercises how to, to do, do with it. the kettlebells, yeah, the, the Turkish mm-hmm. stand up. That's uh, right. And yeah, the the cleaning snacks. All, <laughs> all of this. You just like to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I've read the chart several times. <laughs> now, in all seriousness, we do hike quite a bit, and we do these long walks. And if Sharon is from Florida, you probably don't have a lot of hills. One thing that we do a lot of, especially here in the state of Washington, is we do hikes with a lot of elevation gain, and that's really good exercise. So mm-hmm. if you're not in an area with hills, you might want to do you know, maybe Stairmaster or stairs or find a place close by. Maybe sometimes there's long stairways down to a beach to go up and down those many times. But mm-hmm. uh, stairs are good. Hills are good. Yeah. But like everybody else, we have big slumps, and this uh, January is usually a huge slump month <laughs> where we eat too much and we exercise hey. too little. But I, I do have those kettlebells. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Question number three, moving on. Why And why don't I have this person's name either? <laughs> This is also from Sally. Sally DM'd us. This was another DM, but I actually have her name somewhere. Uh, We'll fact check it. I'll put it in the fact check. So question number three is this. On part two of your Dory's Ho podcast episodes, you mentioned the gal finding the piece of pottery on one of your hikes, and you all left it there. Both my husband and I thought that would have been something to take back to the visitor center or a museum. Here we go. Okay, I'm going to go sit on the couch while you tell (laughs) tell people all the rules about artifacts on public lands. Actually, you know what? It's a really good question because I think that's reasonable to assume that we would have picked it up and turned it in. Like bonus. We found something, a souvenir, but... Well, no, she's not asking why we didn't take it as a souvenir. She's oh. asking why we didn't turn it into oh, a ranger. Oh, turn it into the ranger? Uh-huh, and yeah. tell them where yeah. we found it. So it is actually illegal to remove any artifacts from any of the national park sites. 
Right. I don't know this for sure, but I would guess that that applies to pretty much all federal lands in yes. the United States. Mm-hmm. So what the National Park Service wants you to do is this. If you find an artifact, they would like you to leave it undisturbed, take a photo of it, note your surroundings, where you where you saw it, and then go back, go to the visitor center, tell a ranger, tell you know someone in authority. And the reason they don't want you to, to disturb it is because if they come and excavate the site, they would like to have everything where it originally was. They don't want the site disturbed. Yeah, so we we probably shouldn't have picked it up. We although, should not uh, have picked it up. And no. we we didn't know. There's a broader theme here that is beyond just artifacts, right? I mm-hmm. mean, there's you're really not supposed to disturb anything if you can help it, right? I mean, you're supposed to leave. Leave only footprints, take only photos. That's right. You know, uh, one thing that is a little bit controversial, but once you understand the rules, it, it makes a lot of a lot of sense. Is the little rock cairns mm-hmm. that you see, which are stacks of rocks. St- that- so stacks of rocks, generally marking a trail. Matter of fact, almost always marking a trail. Well, you're not supposed to create those either. You're not supposed to create them. You're not supposed to knock them down. Generally, it is the rangers or the the park service or whomever is maintaining that property. They build those for a reason in specific spots to mark trails. And you're not supposed to build new ones. Although we've been places where we have seen hundreds of little cairns and people think that's a fun thing to do and take pictures of them. That's not not a good thing to do. No, it's not. And it's actually illegal. The rangers consider these stacks to be rock graffiti. And, you know, they might not write you a ticket if they see you building one, but they'll certainly give you a talking to and take it down. And there's a couple of reasons why building these rock cairns are bad. One is because it disturbs the habitats of bugs and reptiles and small mammals that live under the rocks. Another reason is that um, these cairns can dislodge plants that are growing there. And another one is that when too many rocks are removed from an area, erosion can occur. So a lot of good reasons. The National Park Service has started a campaign that's called <laughs> Don't Be a Cairn. Oh, my goodness. You... <laughs> You just can't get away from I it, can you? I cannot get away from first it. First of all, I know. first you were what? You were a, a, a privileged, a privileged, entitled a white woman, and uh-huh. now you're a, you're the scourge of all public lands. <laughs> That's right. I'd actually like a, a T-shirt that says "Don't be a Karen," and it's spelled C-A-I-R-N. That's how Karen is spelled. Yeah, and we're not here to like tell people. Here are the rules. You have to obey them. We're not, you know, we're not the park police. We're, not. we're just telling you are. You, you want to, you you're still trying to get your ticket book from, from, from the park service so that you can issue tickets. But we're just, we're just letting people know what, what the rules are. Right. And I think most people don't know that these cairns are illegal to build. I think most people are unaware. And the other thing a lot of people are unaware of is that drones – 
oh, in yeah. that's all a... national park sites are illegal. Yeah, that's that's a big no-no. And mm-hmm. I have a drone, and I just I would love to fly it in all these places, but you just can't. Now there are some federal lands where drones are allowed. You just have to go to the ranger station or the website and figure it out. Not in any national parks. The drones are not allowed in national parks. They're also not allowed on Indian land like the Navajo Nation. I see, you know, Monument Valley, I see drone shots on Instagram all the time, and that is illegal. So if you have a drone and you want to take it out, just make sure you do know the rules. And there are a lot of of national forests where they're they're allowed. So Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that they're not allowed anywhere. But back on the Karen thing, one other thing we should mention. So don't build them, but also don't knock them down, which you wouldn't think that you would have to tell people not to knock them down. But I've read articles, I've read posts where some people say they're, they don't like the Karens, they disturb the landscape, and they knock them down. Don't do that either, because <laughs> this one person said, it was his opinion that people should have to find their routes on their own, use their route finding skills. So when he's in the backcountry, he knocks down all Karens. You could put people's lives in danger by doing that. Yes, there's been many hikes where we've only found our way back because by following the Karens. Right. So if someone had gone in and knocked them down, that would be a, a horrific thing. We do sound like the park police, don't we? I know. <laughs> <laughs> you just you need a hat. And one of those official ranger green blouses with the- I know. It's still my dream to be a park ranger who's off duty all the time. Off duty all the time. You don't ever (laughs) want to be on duty. You- And can you explain why you want to be off duty? Well, because I don't really want to work. <laughs> you don't want to work. And But I would like to go up to people who are breaking the rules and say, excuse me, I'm a park ranger. I'm an off-duty park ranger. Because then you'd have the authority. So you'd have the authority, but you wouldn't actually have to do any work. And we wonder why the name Karen <laughs> has gotten a bad reputation. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Maybe when you play this back... <laughs> You'll start to see what uh, what other people are. <laughs> Maybe so. So you want you want to surprise people. You want to catch, you want to catch them. You, you're not there to serve and protect. You're there to, to catch them. Well, no, I I would be serving and protecting while I was off duty as well. But you know, just think people would listen to me. <laughs> oh, they if would I listen to you. Off duty ranger. Think, Otherwise, no one listens. I think you to need me. a uniform. <laughs> They're not giving you a gun. Well, they're not giving you a uniform. They're not giving me anything. They're not giving you anything, first of all. But, yeah, Mm. well, so you can keep dreaming. Yeah, it's a dream. Maybe someday. Maybe someday my dream will come true. Anyway, let's move on to question number four. Okay. I do have a name on this one, and her name is Paula Hendrickson. And she wrote, I have a question for you. You rarely talk about your family. I was wondering if you did a lot of hiking when your kids were young. And are your adult children interested in hiking and camping now? Do you ever do trips with any of your adult children? Okay, couple questions in that one question. Our adult children. Yeah, you know, we don't like our adult children that much. Matt. <laughs> And no. it's okay. We could say that because they never listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, no, he's joking. He's joking. We, we like them. Uh, we like them a we lot. We see them often. We do. And we actually, we don't talk about them often. And if you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, you will know that we never, ever post pictures of them. And it's not because we're embarrassed of them. It's- yeah. Well, first of all, 
us putting ourselves out there to the public by having social media accounts, by writing books, that's our decision to put ourselves out there. It's not our kids' decision. Right. right. They're adults. Mm-hmm. They, they, they may not want to be out there in the public and so it's it's not our decision. Right. We're very um, protective of their privacy, let's say that. But we're happy to answer the question. So let's start with the first one. Did you do a lot of hiking when your kids were young? I think we did a lot of changing diapers. <laughs> I remember going to work a lot <laughs> and bringing home paychecks that were smaller than our bills. And uh, I don't know, yeah. eating pizza on Friday night. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Mm-hmm. So we lived in Kansas until they were 9, 11, and 13. And so living in Kansas, as we've said, not as many recreational opportunities. So what we would do in the summer we would drive to Estes Park, Colorado, because it was a fairly easy drive, and we would go to Rocky Mountain National Park, and we did that every summer for years. And we loved it. They loved it because if you've ever been to Estes Park, it is like – it is such a great place for kids. There right. are giant slides and – Donuts. Donuts and bumper cars and bumper boats and all these really fun things. And, of course, you have Rocky Mountain National Park right there, too. And they also have a really great YMCA day camp. And our kids would go to that a couple days of the week, and they would ride horses and do arts and crafts. And so that was a week of our summer every year. And then in the winter, we would take them down to Disney World. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. that's kind of like a national park, except it costs $1 million to, to get in. And, and if you want to eat while you're there, it, it will be an extra $1 million. <laughs> So that's that uh-huh. uh, we yeah we took yeah. them to Disney World. Now we didn't do a lot of hiking. Uh, no. We we did when we moved to the Pacific Northwest. We tried some hikes. Mm-hmm. Um, they were not into they, it. They, <laughs> um, I think the last comment I remember from our kids was, "Why do we have to do this stupid hike?" So yeah. we left them by the side of the road. Mm-hmm. About a week later, they mm-hmm. made their way back home. And That's right. That was the last hike we ever did with them. I will say, though, here's a pro tip. Our middle daughter, Emily, she would lag so far behind on the uphill, you know, the first half of the hike. And she would just be dragging. And I hate this. And I can't walk. And she'd sit down. And then she, yeah, she'd go limp. She'd go limp. <laughs> and then we figured out by the time we got to the top and it was time to turn around. I, I remember, Matt, you told her, OK, Emily, I don't know if we can find our way back to the car. So you're the leader. You have to get us back to the car. And all of a sudden, she was she had like this new energy. She yeah. practically ran well, down the also mountain. Da- yeah, it was also downhill. <laughs> yes. And, and it was also this, the sooner we get back to the car, the sooner this stupid hike will be over. That's right. So I don't know. Maybe we started too late with the hiking with our kids, you know, because they were pre-teenagers and teenagers by the time we moved to Washington. So I think we missed the boat on that. Yeah. So what we don't get is we don't get these questions from our kids. Why didn't you take us on hikes when we were kids? Because we did. That's right. And you complained, so we stopped. <laughs> now, we did take them to some some national parks once we moved to Washington. Of course, we took them to our local parks here, but we also took them to Glacier. We took them to Yellowstone and Grand Teton. So we did do some national parks with them. But in answer to the second part of your question, are your adult children interested in hiking and camping now? Mm. Kind of. <laughs> One is not at all... Um, our son, he's more interested now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he 
he's exploring more. But we, we've kind of found with them, they have to discover it. If we try to drag them along on our stuff, then it becomes our thing that they're tagging along to. So That's right. And as people with adult children know, you know, they all have full-time jobs and they're all very busy. So at this stage in their career, they might have two weeks vacation. They don't have a lot of time to hike into camp. I'm hoping as they get a little bit older, they might discover it. Hey, we did not discover camping until we were, what, in our 50s? <laughs> so they've got some time. <laughs> yeah, and they should listen. They should read all of our books and listen to all our, our podcasts to, to be prepared. <laughs> and then the last part of Paula's question was, do you ever do trips with any of your adult children? Funny thing that we wrote about it in Dear Bob and Sue, our first national park trip of our two-year we're going to all the national parks, we took two of the three kids with us. Right. We went to Stahican, which is in, well, very close to North Cascades National Park. It's actually in Lake, Lake Chelan National Recreation Area, although that whole part of the national park system is managed as, as a single unit. We took a ferry boat from the town of Chelan up Lake Chelan to back to Stahican. And so that was a fun weekend. It was fun. We brought the kids. We stayed mm-hmm. at the lodge. We tried to ride bikes into the national park, but we couldn't figure out where where the border was. But yeah, we've done trips. And, and we have since. We took the kids on kids. They were, they were yeah. adults to Yellowstone snowmobiling. Mm-hmm. They loved that. They loved that. And when that was at Christmas. They said it was the best Christmas they've ever had. By the way, I should mention that our oldest daughter is married. And so our son-in-law is our son now. Um, so we basically have four kids. <laughs> we, uh, we, have, we, have <laughs> we have four, not three. <laughs> four adult children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we're looking forward to doing more trips with our adult children. You know, I think they're always, they're always eager to go as long as, as long as we're paying and we're <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we we're set looking, it up. We're looking forward to the day where they, they pay. So mm-hmm. maybe if we drop enough hints on these podcasts. Maybe we should have them take us to Disney World. Yeah, There's exactly. just a lot of payback there. Yeah. <laughs> Take us to Disney World, and we're I'm going to eat as many Mickey Mouse-shaped ice cream bars as I can. Our next question comes from Lisa in Madison, Wisconsin, and she wrote, This summer I'm going to be visiting Gateway Arch National Park in St. Louis, and my husband wants to take the tram to the top of the arch, but I'm afraid of heights. Have you done this, and did you think it was scary at all? Oh, we've done it. <laughs> we have definitely done we, it. <laughs> we did it. I, I was a little scared myself. Yes, I'm afraid of heights as well, Lisa. I was I was worried that I was going to possibly have some kind of a breakdown on the way up. I'm not so afraid of heights. I think when you and I uh, went skydiving in college, that cured me of my, my fear of heights, but I'm more afraid of like getting stuck somewhere. Oh. So it's more it's more claustrophobic than scary. <laughs> well, once you get into this little tram car, that's exactly right. Actually, I would caution people who are claustrophobic. Maybe you want to rethink that instead of people who are afraid of heights. Uh, but let's talk about that for a minute for people who haven't been to the Gateway Arch. Okay, let's okay. do that. All right. So there are there are two tram trains. The tram north trains? tram trains There's say tram that trains? three times fast. Are they the, called tram trains? Mm-hmm. The north and the south 
And for each train, there are eight tram cars, or as they like to call them, pods. Okay, I'm confused already, but but continue, please. I like how they call them pods, because that reminds me of laundry pods. And didn't you think that getting into that little tram car was like climbing into an industrial clothes dryer? I know, they, they line everybody up, and you stand in front of your car, and then the door opens, and... You know, the the attendant gives you this look like, all right, everybody in. And I'm looking in this, like in there? I'm I know. Going in there? And yeah, that was a little weird. I don't think we had anybody else with us. Did we have strangers with we, us? No, we didn't. It was just you and I. Now, there are five little like little bench seats. They're not really bench seats. They're little. I don't know. Mm, you did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there are five little seats. So it can sit five people in there and your knees would all be touching. It's very close quarters in there. Yeah, I'm, I, I need my own pod. I know. You I mean, I'll let you, you can go with me. But but here's the thing, Lisa. You know how sometimes when you go up in an elevator or you go up something that's really fast like that and your stomach kind of drops? This was not like that. And It didn't feel like it was rushing up quickly. And the other thing was there was only one window and it was in the door that slid shut. So the view that you're looking at through this very tiny window is of the inside of the arch, the sort of inner workings as you're going up. So there are no views to the outside, which I thought helped a lot because you're looking at the interior stairway as it goes up. Well, once you get in there and they shut you in, they they put it on spin. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was afraid they would do. I, I would like an air fluff, like I would just, not, not, not a not a high heat dry, please. Uh, you go up six over six hundred feet, but it, it takes four minutes, so you're not going real fast, right? But also, if you're feeling bad or queasy at all, it's only four minutes. It, it seemed to go fairly That's quickly. That's a long time when you feel queasy. Believe me, I've spent a lot of my life feeling queasy. queasy. <laughs> All right, Matt. Four minutes is a long time. Matt, I'm trying to talk. Lisa from Madison, Wisconsin. Okay, Matt, I'm trying to talk Lisa into this because I think it's really good. No, it's great. It was great. Like it it went up before we knew it. We were there. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Now, when you get to the top, the doors automatically open, and there was a staircase that you have to, you know, then go up a few stairs, Um, and then it takes you up to this really small, narrow room at the very top of the arch. Yeah, you don't want to think a whole lot about where you are no. <laughs> when, you, when you're up there. That's right. Because if you are scared of heights, maybe maybe it would hit you when you get up well, there. Well, I don't know. Maybe. I, I mean, you're, inside, you're essentially inside a building. That's right. And the other thing, too, is- 630 feet. There are very tiny windows up there. So there are a lot of displays that tell you about the history of the arch and the surrounding area. And then they have these long, narrow windows that you basically have to- Put your phone up to the window to be able to take a photo. So again, you're you're not bombarded with like a steep drop-off view. It's not like that at all. In fact, if you don't even want to look out the window, you could avoid it and just read the displays. Actually, when we were up there, I was feeling pretty good. So I figured since I was feeling good, I would ask the ranger. There's a ranger up there always mm-hmm. in attendant. I asked him what it would be like to be up there during an earthquake. Oh, you did. I forgot about that. Yeah. And he he happened to be the ranger up there when they had the earthquake fairly recently. What was that? Maybe a couple years ago Mm -hmm. uh, in the St. Louis area. And he said, oh, yeah, this this thing, it moved a lot. So okay, then Lisa, I, I but... just said, like, okay, I, I'd like to go now. Can you call the dryers up and get me the heck out of here? But how... Lisa, for you, it'll be fine. Yeah. How often does an earthquake happen in St. I mean, Louis? I, I mean, know, come on. Not, not that often, like a couple times a week. But 
you'll be fine. That's right. And and the deal is when you buy your ticket, you have a timed entry and they're very organized, you know, and they get you in line at your time and they put you in your little uh, <laughs> clothes dryer. But then once you get up to the top, you can stay up there as long as you want. So if you're uncomfortable and you want to stay 30 seconds, you can go and take the next tram car down any car. It doesn't have to, it's not a time thing. It's not a reserved car. Or you could stay up there an hour or two if you wanted. In all seriousness, I thought it was pretty cool. I, it's like you're, you're kind of like you're inside a building because, mm-hmm. because you are. I didn't have a lot of anxiety about how high we were up there. But I did think about when we were up there that when you look up at the arcs, that little teeny teeny tiny part of the top arch. That's where we were. I know. It is hard to believe when you stand on the bottom and look up there. Maybe don't do that before you go up. Maybe. <laughs> don't, do, don't do the don't, uh, don't movie, movie in the visitor center where they show how they, they built it and they, they're lifting these pieces up that look like, uh, I don't know, they look like what, lunar landing modules or something. They're, they're not that big. No. And that's another cool thing to do for anyone who's going to visit Gateway Arch National Park is go see the movie. The movie's very mm-hmm. cool. And so it kind of puts it into perspective, the 60s when when it was developed and when it was designed. It really was a, a genius design for the time. It was an amazing feat of engineering. Feat spelled yeah. F-E-A-T. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that makes more sense now. That's right. <laughs> and we should say the Gateway Arch was completed in 1965 and the North Tram opened to the public in 1967 and the South Tram in 1968. And I am sure that they do maintenance checks on those tram oh, yeah. cars I mean, all the well, time. Well, they did it in, in 1972 <laughs> and 1973. Yeah, they, they right. maintained did the maintenance check. <laughs> but Lisa, you really shouldn't miss this. I thought it was great. I think it's one of the highlights of any visit to Gateway Arch. And just one note to anybody who's going. Pro tip. Pro tip. Those tickets to the top sell out far in advance. So don't just show up to buy your ticket. Buy them ahead of time online. When you know you're going, get on the website. We'll put a link on the show notes and... uh Buy your tickets ahead of time. Now, here's another pro tip I will tell you. If you have tickets ahead of time, but you're because you're like me and you you have to get there an hour early to make sure you're on time, which is exactly what we did. Mm-hmm. And then there was space in the earlier times. They let us in. That's true. I forgot about that. Yeah. So you mm-hmm. could, uh, I don't know if they do that all the time, but uh, you're there and you're it's way ahead of time. You can just ask them because they probably will let you go ahead of your time. All right, Lisa, thank you for the great question. Good luck, Lisa. All right. Our last question today comes from Nancy Smith in Kansas. Nancy Smith from mm -hmm. Kansas. And her question is, have you guys ever thought about doing videos? I would love to see your sweet faces. What kind of videos are you talking about, Nancy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've thought about this, although we're just trying to figure out one thing at a time. We're still trying to figure out how to do podcast. As we travel, we will do some videos just on our phones, capturing some moments. You kind of have to have it in the front of your mind that you're going to do videos because we're so busy when we're out on a hike or backpacking or doing whatever that thing is in the national park. You don't think to stop and do a video. And, and sometimes you're in the moment. So trying to document it is kind of interrupts the moment of just enjoying what you're doing. We started doing a few truck talk videos. That's what I called them, truck mm-hmm. talk. And so I mounted a GoPro to the 
windshield of the truck pointing back at us. So then while we were driving, we could turn it on and do some talking. Those were okay. A lot of technical difficulties on yeah, those. It's really hard to get good sound with mm-hmm. that. However, one thing we have thought about recently, people seem to like our gift guides, our gear reviews that we do around the holidays, giving people suggestions on, on gifts to get. And it is so difficult to describe these items just with audio right? that we thought, well, that would be a perfect thing to start doing some short videos. We kind of have the setup to do that. And so we can show the item, kind of show how it's used. And so we're going to start experimenting with doing just like one piece of gear for each episode and just kind of put them out there on YouTube, tell people they're there. So we're going to tiptoe into video, I think. We've started practicing. Um. <laughs> we, have, we have practiced. <laughs> it's not as easy as doing the podcast episodes because, you know, you have to have good posture. You um, have to put clothes on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to get out of my pajamas. You know, there's things like that that take a little more effort than just uh, sitting here where no one can see us. Yeah, it's a little mm-hmm. bit more self-conscious when, when mm-hmm. it's video rather than just audio. So, yeah, this is the year we're going to try to do some video. Yes, we will. And, 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 and we'll try to remember to do more when we're on site. Yes, we're going to make a concerted effort to to shoot more video because I think it really lets people see what the particular place is like, much more so than a still photo. So, Nancy Smith, thank you for that question. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> So that wraps it up. That's our mailbag. First full episode of Mailbag. And we will be back with another Mailbag segment next month. Next month? Next month. We're doing it again. Please continue to send us your questions. We'd love to get mail. Our email address is Smith at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our social media accounts. On Instagram, you can find us at Matt and Karen Smith, and on Facebook at Dear Bob NS. Yeah, just shoot us a DM. <laughs> Did I get that right? Is it a PM it, or no, a, it's DM? a DM? It's an AM. Shoot, shoot us an AM. Shoot us a DM in the AM, and this, Karen will get right back to you. This is why I do it. <laughs> and I promise I will write down your name. <laughs> I did a little fact-checking, and the question about what to do with a pottery shard came from Tammy Fessmeyer. So thanks for your great question, Tammy. What about the Isle Royal question? Who sent that in? Well, unfortunately, our fact-checker was unable to locate that person, and we had to let the fact-checker go. Oh, you, we did? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I I understand. (laughs) Thank you all for tuning into our show and for recommending it to your friends and family. If you haven't had the chance yet to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, this seems like it would be the perfect time. Or maybe in a few minutes when we're done talking. We work very hard every week creating the show notes. We? As in I work really hard. I spend about, what, four or five minutes. At at the most. And put links at the bottom of those show notes to provide more information about some of the things we discussed, like websites for various boats to Isle Royal and so on and so forth. So Mm -hmm. go to www.thedearbobandsuepodcast.com, click on the Episodes tab in the menu bar, 
and then click on the title for episode 31. Our show is produced by our amazing team at Puddle Creative in Portland, Oregon. Our artwork is by the designers at Expert Subjects, and our theme music is by Will West. All that talk about the boats to Isle Royale has me itching to go back again. Oh, it does? Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. But instead of sailing on the minnow with Gilligan, can we take like the love boat? <laughs> You're not going to sing that song, are you? No, I'm not. I don't remember much of the love boat. There's Captain Steubing. Was there a Julie Mm -hmm. on there? Okay. Uh Julie McCoy. That part I remember. All right. I'm sure you do. (laughs) 